Well, on Sunday mornings, we're doing a series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're actually going to cover a huge passage this morning. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And the title of this message, if you're a note taker, is The Great Physician. But let's read through this passage, and then I'm going to take a few minutes, I'm going to walk us through it, and then I have five applications at the end. But let's read this passage, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And I always teach out of the English Standard Version. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that, she may be, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter... Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't this an amazing story? Let me pray, and we'll just take a few minutes, and we'll walk through it, and then I have some applications. Jesus, you are absolutely amazing. You are the miracle. And I thank you, Lord, that these aren't just stories from some book from thousands of years ago, but that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And everything you did in these stories, you have the power to do today. You have the power to do in this room. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look to your word, that you would speak to us through it. Bless this time now, and please be with us, Father God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Well, what we're going to see as we look at this story is this thing that Bible scholars call the sandwich technique, okay? And what Mark likes to do is Mark will tell a story, and then what he'll do is he'll insert another story within that story. 
So the main story in the second half of Mark chapter 5 is the healing of Jairus' daughter, but inserted within the story is the story of the healing of this woman with the issue of blood. And so really, it's a two-for-one special. Can I get an amen on that? You get two amazing Jesus stories in one story. And what we'll see in this story is Jesus' power over sickness and death. We've already seen in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is the Lord over nature, that he can, he can calm a storm with the word. We've seen that he's Lord over the demonic world, that he can cast a demon out with the word, and that even the demons have to bow down before Jesus Christ. But in this story, we're going to see that not only is he Lord over nature, Lord over the demonic world, but he's Lord over sickness, and he's even Lord over death. Because there's nothing greater than Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than him, not even death itself. And he can raise a little girl from the dead just with a word. One of the other things that I think is important to notice about this story and the resurrecting of this young woman and the healing of this adult woman is that Jesus loved women. In a world where women were treated as second-class citizens and had very little social standing, You know, we take for granted today that women have equal rights, but that was not a given in Jesus' world. Women were considered little more than property, and it actually shows us, and I was thinking about this week, it shows us how advanced Jesus was, that Jesus was literally thousands of years ahead of his time, and how somebody treats those with less social standing than themselves says a lot about them. And Jesus loved women. He elevated them. And he had compassion for them. And honestly, the women were Jesus' most devoted followers. Can I get an amen, ladies? Thank you. Way back there. Amen? (laughs) Come on. Let's give the Jesus ladies a round of applause. Amen? Come on. I'm sorry to say it, gentlemen, but when Jesus was arrested and crucified, all the men bailed. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm in that group. I'm a man. I'm happy to be a man. But we dropped the ball. We weren't there, okay? John stayed to the very end. But who was there at the cross? All the women. Who was there at the tomb? Who were the first people at the tomb on resurrection morning when Jesus Christ rose from the dead? The women. They stayed faithful to Jesus to the very end. He loved them and they loved him. But Jesus saw both of these women. He saw the young woman and he saw the grown woman and he cared for them and he healed them. And this says so much about who Jesus is. But let's walk through the story. Verse 21, it says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. So what had happened is in the first half of Mark chapter five, Jesus had sailed from the western shore of the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side. The eastern side was the Gentile side. As they arrive on the beach, this super demon-possessed guy comes down from Times Square, right, and meets them (laughs) at the shoreline. (laughs) And he's got a thousand demons inside of him, and he's out of control, and nobody can contain him. And Jesus ends up casting these demons out of him, healing this man, setting him free. But he so freaks out the locals that they ask Jesus to leave. And one of the radical things about Jesus is that Jesus only goes where he's welcome. He only goes where he's wanted. So they ask Jesus to leave. And I think one of the most tragic scenes in the Bible, Jesus gets in the boat and he sails away. 
And so then he sails across the Sea of Galilee. He comes back to the western side. And as he shows up on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, he says, a great crowd gathered around him. And I want to give you one little principle about ministry. Wherever Jesus is present and moving in power, there'll always be a crowd. So really, our goal or responsibility as Christians is to create a space where Jesus is welcome, where he's moving in power, and where his presence is there, and you won't have room enough to contain the crowds. Verse 22 through 24. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And so Jesus lands on the western shore, this crowd gathers around him, and then out of the crowd comes the ruler of the synagogue named Jairus. Now, unlike the women in this story, Jairus is a man of incredible privilege. He lives on the Upper East Side, he lives on Park Avenue, he's got a really good 401k, his credit score is 850, he's... He's respected, he's deeply religious, he was probably a wealthy, successful businessman, that's why he was elected to be the president of this synagogue. And yet this man lays aside all of his pride and all of his dignity and all of his respectability, and he comes and he bows at the feet of Jesus and he says, please Jesus, come heal my little girl. You see, because all the status and all the wealth and all the connections cannot heal his little girl. And we know from the Gospel of Luke that this little girl was Jairus' only child. He loves this little girl with all of his heart, and he would rather be sick and die than for his little girl to be sick and die. And what's fascinating is that Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood that he's going to heal in a moment are on opposite ends of the social scale, okay? And yet, they're united together and their common need for Jesus. Both of them have run out of options, and Jesus is their only hope, and they're coming to Jesus in an act of desperation. And you know what? This is true of us as well. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Can I get an amen? Everyone needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. I'm praying for a revival in New York City, okay? Thank you, this little crowd right here, okay? So... And literally, my prayer is I'm praying for revival for the billionaires on Billionaires Row and for the homeless person and everybody else in between because every single person needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs Jesus. And the other thing, too, is like the woman, we all have a chronic incurable disease. And it's a three-letter word that starts with S. What's it? Sin. Sin. And like Jairus' daughter, one day... We're all going to die. God bless you. Happy Sunday. Amen? So, and the only one who can heal us of our sin and give us eternal life is a man whose name starts with J. Jesus. Jesus. And all the wealth and all the social status and all the religious respectability in the world cannot save us from death. Only Jesus Christ can. And I think Jairus is a wonderful picture of prayer. It says, seeing Jesus, he fell on his knees and he implored him earnestly. And it says in the story that when this happens, and Jesus went with him. And there's something I want you to understand. I think sometimes what we do, even as Christians we do, we're like, well, there's Jesus and there's God. 
and Jesus is awesome, he's kind of a hippie, and then God's kind of uptight, you know? And we draw this distinction between God and Jesus without realizing that, that Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh, and so what's happening is everything that Jesus is doing on a micro level, God is doing every day on a macro level. And the fact that Jairus' prayer moves the heart of Jesus shows us that our prayers move the heart of God. When you pray to God, he's not cold, he's not indifferent, he's not uncaring. Your prayers move the heart of God. In the same way that Jairus' prayers moved the heart of Jesus and moved him to action. Verses 24 through 28. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And so then, as Jesus is heading to Jairus' house, there's this huge crowd thronging around Jesus. Jesus is a rock star. Everybody wants to get near him. Everybody wants to touch him. Everybody wants to get a selfie with Jesus. Everybody wants to like tag him on Instagram. Everyone's trying to get close to him. And yet in the crowd is this woman who had had nonstop menstrual bleeding for 12 years. She'd been to every doctor she could find. She had tried every medicine, every cure. She'd done essential oils. She had done everything she could possibly do. Nobody could heal her. In fact, her sickness had gotten worse, and by this point, she was broke. She'd gone through all of her money, all of her life savings. She took out a second mortgage on her house. She spent every penny she had. She borrowed from her relatives. She did a GoFundMe, and nothing worked. She's out of money. She has no other options. And also, because of her menstrual bleeding, she was religiously unclean. So she wasn't able to go to the synagogue. She wasn't able to go into the temple. And if anyone touched her, they would become unclean. So not only had she been sick for over a decade, but she was also isolated socially. And can you imagine the unbelievable shame and loneliness that this woman must have experienced? She was like a leper. But you know what? I love this woman, and she's my hero. She didn't let her disease defeat her. And she didn't give up hope. She could have just given into victimhood. She could have just given up and felt sorry for herself, but she didn't. And when she heard the reports about Jesus, and by the way, that's all that evangelism is. It's just, it's just reporting the good news about Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? We don't have to yell at anybody. We don't have to try to convince anybody. It's just telling the world the good news about what Jesus has done for us. We're to be Jesus reporters, publishing to the world just what Jesus Christ has done. So she hears the reports about Jesus, and she goes, and she seeks him out. And what she does is actually kind of sneaky, and kind of illegal. <laughs> she sneaks into the crowd, she comes up behind Jesus, and she touches his clothes. And this was actually a violation of the Old Testament law. What she was doing was illegal. You see, because by doing this, she would have made Jesus religiously unclean. But she has so much faith in Jesus. She says, if I can just touch his garments, I'll be healed. He doesn't have to look at me. He doesn't even have to know me. He doesn't even have to acknowledge me. I know that Jesus Christ has so much power. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And I love her. She has so much faith. She has so much courage that she's not going to allow anything to keep her from getting to Jesus. 
not even the Old Testament law. But Jesus is her only hope. And so she's gonna seek after him and press in until she touches him because she knows that Jesus is the only answer and Jesus is the only one that can heal her. And the moment she touches his clothes, she's instantly healed. Look at what it says in verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. The moment she touches him, and I love what it says, that she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Verses 30 to 32, and Jesus, proceeding in himself, the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? I think sometimes they thought Jesus was like airheaded. You know what I mean? They're like, Jesus, come on, bro. Everybody's touching you. <laughs> He's like, who touched my clothes? <laughs> Jesus, there's literally a thousand people touching you. He's like, who touched me? <laughs> and they said, and he looked around to see who had done it. Now, here's something really fascinating, and please hear this. And I've, I've been meditating on this for a couple weeks now, and, it's, and I've really been turning this over in my mind. When she touches Jesus' clothes, Jesus feels power go out from him because Jesus was so filled with the Holy Spirit that people could be healed by him without even Jesus causing it to happen. And the same is true of us. When we're filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can do things to us that we're not even aware of. He can literally do 10,000 different things to you that you are not even conscious of that are actually happening through you. That's one of the great privileges of being the lead pastor of this church is that a lot of times I get the reports and I hear all these amazing stories of things the Holy Spirit did that I wasn't even aware of. But Jesus is so full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally just leaking out to him in every direction. And she touches him and she's made whole. But when Jesus feels the power go out from him, he turns around in the crowd and he says, who touched my clothes? Now again, hundreds and probably thousands of people were touching Jesus. And so his disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about, man? Everybody's touching you. But yet Jesus ignores them, my man, and he keeps looking around at the crowd to find out who did it. You see, because a lot of people were touching Jesus, but she was the only one in the crowd that day who was really touching Jesus. Because there's touching Jesus, and then there's touching Jesus. Because she was touching him in faith. And how do we really touch the heart of God? Because that's really the goal, right? The goal is to touch the heart of God, to move the heart of God. How do we touch the heart of God? When we reach out to God in faith. When we say, you know what? I'm not going to allow anything to get between me and Jesus, and I'm going to press through until I touch the Lord. That's how we touch the heart of God. Now, here's something interesting to think about is, why does Jesus call her out? You know, if she has all this shame and she feels really humiliated, then like the worst thing to do to her is call her out in front of everybody. So why does Jesus call her out? You know why? Because Jesus wants to have a relationship with her. He doesn't just want to be her secret healer, okay? He wants to be her best friend and he wants to be her Lord and Savior. Yes, healing is important, but what Jesus really came for was relationship. And he wants her to move beyond just getting what she needs from Jesus. I got my healing, I'm good. She wants to, he wants to move her beyond that into an eternal relationship with himself. Yeah, he'll heal her, he'll, give her, he'll do whatever she needs, but he wants to know her. He wants to have a relationship with her. She's more important than anything else. He wants to know her, he wants to love her, and he wants to be in an eternal relationship with her. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
Now, she thinks she's busted, okay? Because what she did was illegal. And if Jesus hadn't been God, then she would have been made, she would have made him unclean. And so she comes and she falls down before Jesus in fear and trembling, and she tells him the whole truth. Jesus, I've been sick for 12 years, and I've had this issue, and it's, it's isolated me. And she just tells him everything. And again, I think this is also an excellent picture of prayer. She falls at the feet of Jesus in fear and trembling, and she tells him the whole truth. And this is what we're to do in prayer. We are to tell Jesus the whole truth. We're to confess everything to Jesus because he already knows it anyways. The older I get, I'm so brutally honest with Jesus nowadays. Can I get, a, can I get an amen from anybody out there? Dude, I tell him everything, you know? <laughs> like no filter, no being Mr. Nice Guy. I'm just like, this is what's going on, Lord. And the only sin that Jesus can't forgive is the one that we won't confess. Just go to Jesus and tell him the whole truth because he already knows anyways. You're not going to tell him something. He's gonna, you're going you're to like shock him. You're going to tell him something. Whoa, I didn't know that. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're omniscient. You're supposed to know everything, you know? Just tell him the whole truth. Confess everything. Lay everything out in front of him. And I think probably the most beautiful verse in the Bible, ironically, is actually 1 John 1, 9. Read this with me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All we have to do is confess our sins and he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 34, and she said to her, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus isn't mad at her. She's not in trouble. And he speaks to her like a loving father to his daughter. And he says, your faith has made you well. You see, because there, no, there was no magical power in Jesus' clothing. He kind of has to clear that her theology is a little superstitious. But it was her faith in Jesus that caused her to be healed. Because faith opens the door for God to move powerfully in our life. And he says to her, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, here's a, here's a point I want you to see here. He tells her, he, look, I'm, I've healed you, but I want you to accept the fact that you've been healed. Because sometimes we can be sick for so long that we can develop a sickness mindset. We can be emotionally sick for so long or spiritually sick for so long that we can actually develop a sick way of thinking. And we can forget what it's like to be healthy. And he says to her, I've healed you. Now receive that healing and be healed of your disease. And the same is true of us. We've been healed and set free by Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? But we need to embrace and walk in that healing and freedom. We're not who we used to be. We're no longer the worst version of ourselves. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. Verses 35 to 36, while he was still speaking, there came from the, rulers, some, from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So as Jesus is speaking to this woman, people come from Jairus' house and say to Jairus, you know what, Jairus, it's too late. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your little girl is dead. And it says that Jesus overhearing them, but actually a more literal translation would be ignoring what they said, and I love that. Jesus looks Jairus in the eyes, and he said, ignoring what they say about his daughter, Jesus looks Jairus in the eyes, and he says to him, don't be afraid, only believe. 
And the Greek tense for belief here is actually continual. So really what he's saying to Jairus is he says, don't be afraid, keep on believing. It's the journey song from the 80s. Amen? <laughs> don't stop believing. <laughs> That is the, that's the theme song, the journey song from 1981, don't stop, that's what he says to Jairus, don't stop believing, that's what he's saying to him. I know you came to me for a healing, but you know what, Jairus, you're going to end up getting something so much better, you're going to get a resurrected little girl. And what was interesting, and I want you to think about this, if Jesus hadn't stopped to talk to this woman, he probably would have made it to Jairus' house in time to heal this little girl. But because he took time to deal with the woman with the issue of blood, the little girl died. Now, if Jesus was really a doctor, this actually would have been malpractice. Because if this woman had this issue for 12 years, she could have waited one more day or she could have waited a couple hours. They could have just put her like in the ER and Jesus goes and heals the little girl and comes back and takes care of her. And what this brings up, it brings up an issue of God's timing. Was Jesus being irresponsible? No. He was going to give Jairus something even better than a healing. He was going to give him a resurrection. What's better than a healed little girl? How about a little girl raised from the dead? And sometimes when it seems like Jesus is delaying and fulfilling a dream or a desire or a promise, it's only because he wants to give us something even better. And we just have to trust the timing of Jesus. Look at this great quote by Tim Keller. We have such delusions of grandeur that our self-righteousness and arrogance sometimes has to be knocked out of our heart by God's delays. Right now, is God delaying something in your life? Are you ready to give up? Are you impatient with him? There may be a crucial factor that you just don't have access to. The answer, as with Jairus, is what is to trust Jesus. Verses, thir verses 37 through 39, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. So Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. They were his inner circle. They'll also be with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they come to Jairus' house... There's all these people that are weeping and wailing. And what these people were, it might sound strange to us, but they were actually professional mourners. In Jesus' world, you would hire people to come to your house and like weep and wail for a week. I know it seems kind of strange. It was like hype the funeral, you know what I mean? So you bring like hype mourners, you know? And I think it was done, it was done, I don't know, out of like respect for, I don't know, it seems strange to me, but it was something they did, right? It was like, just take it all to the next level. You'd literally pay people who would come and mourn. And so they tell, and so when Jesus says, guys, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, they laugh at him. But here's something I want you to hear, and I'm almost done. When Jesus comes into the picture, death is no longer the end because Jesus can raise us from the dead, then dying is just going to sleep. And that's why throughout the New Testament, it never talks about Christians dying. Do you know that? And I know you don't believe me, so I want you to Google that this afternoon. It never talks about Christians dying. It always says that Christians fall asleep. It says that they're asleep in the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. First Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 18, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is few and you are still in your sins, then those who have, 
who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Jesus is so powerful that he actually takes death and he just transforms it into going to sleep. And so as a Christian, you never have to be afraid to die because the day, when your day comes, it's just gonna be like going to sleep and then waking up in the presence of God. Verse 40, and they laughed at him and he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went in where the child was. And so they laugh at Jesus, but what does Jesus do? He takes the scoffers, the mockers, the haters, the cynics, and he puts them outside, and that's fine. You can make fun of Jesus, you can make fun of Christianity, you can laugh at him, but you'll also never see the power of God. He puts them all outside. And, and into this room goes Peter, James, and John, Jesus, and uh, this little girl's mom and dad, and they are witnesses, and they are eyewitnesses to the first miracle of resurrection in the Gospels. And this is absolutely next level. You know, calming the weather, that's kind of like Lord of the Rings wizardry kind of stuff. That's interesting. And casting out demons and healing the sick, but raising somebody from the dead, that's just un beyond their wildest imaginations. And then here's our last verses, and I'm going to start to conclude this. It says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And here's what I want you to see, is I love how tender and gentle Jesus is with this little girl. And I think this is actually an aspect of God's character that we can forget sometimes, how gentle and tender God is. I was at a prayer meeting about a week and a half ago. It was, it was actually the, the same morning we did the Times Square worship night. I was at this prayer meeting in the morning, and this prayer meeting started at 6 and ended up going for 24 hours. I was there from like 7 to 8.20, and when the Holy Spirit came into the room, the spirit in the room was the gentleness and the tenderness of God. And when I felt like the manifest tenderness of God, I just broke down crying. This other guy broke down crying. This other girl broke down crying. Everybody in the room began to weep as we experienced the tenderness of God. It's not the harshness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. And so Jesus grabs this little girl by the hand, and you got to picture his rough, scarred, big carpenter hand, and he grabs her by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha Kumi, now, Talitha Kumi is actually Aramaic. These are the actual words of Jesus. Most of what Jesus said was translated from Aramaic into Greek, but there's a few little instances where it's the actual words of Jesus. So when you say that, just say Talitha Kumi. Just say that right now, Talitha Kumi. All right, two people did that. Just try it again. Talitha Kumi. That's actually what Jesus said in that room that day. And I think the reason why those actual words are in the story is because Peter who was in the room that day, and really the gospel of Mark is his gospel, he never forgot those magic words. He never forgot the tenderness and the beautifulness of the situation where there's Jesus, and he grabs this little girl, and he says, Talitha Kumi, and this little princess was pulled to her feet, and she was resurrected from the dead. And Talitha Kumi means little girl or little lamb, I say to you, arise. And as he says it, she arises from the dead like a little child being woken from sleep. And she begins walking around, and they're immediately overcome with amazement because everything Jesus does is amazing. And if anything amazing ever happens through our lives, it's because Jesus was working through us. 
And then he tells him, don't tell anyone what I've done. He does this as an act of compassion. And then I love how thoughtful and practical Jesus is. Yeah, now let's give her something to eat. Amen? <laughs> Everyone else is like, whoa, this is amazing. Jesus is like, all right, let's get her some falafel. Let's get her some hummus. Let's get some coleslaw. Let's, she hasn't eaten in a couple days. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's a good doctor. And Stuart, you can come up wherever you are and start playing keys. And I want to close with five applications as we, as we draw this message to an end. The first one is take all your cares to Jesus. Like Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood, go to Jesus, listen to me, give me your attention, fall at his feet, cast all your cares before him, and tell him what? The whole truth. Because Jesus loves us, he forgives us, he cares about us, and nothing is impossible for him. There's a really amazing song out right now by Amanda Cook. It's called Rest. And listen to the lyrics of this song. I feel like it perfectly summarizes the situation. Bring your burdens all to Jesus. There's nothing too big for him, and he's never too busy for you. All you weary, come and lay your head on his shoulders. If your heart is heavy, take a rest by still waters. Bring your secrets, every weakness. There's nothing too big for him, and he's never too busy for you. All your greatest disappointments, there's nothing too big for him, and he's never too busy for you. Secondly, let nothing stop you from getting to Jesus. Do whatever you have to do to get to Jesus. If you need to worship two hours, three hours, if you need to stay up all night in prayer, you do whatever you got to do to get to Jesus. Come on, can I get an amen? You don't let anything stop you, not even the Old Testament law. (laughs) You break the law to get to Jesus if you got to get to Jesus. Keep pressing in until you touch Jesus because the moment you touch him, you're healed. Trust the timing of Jesus. Know that Jesus knows what's best for us and if he's delaying, it may may be because he has something better for us. We're asking for a healing, but he wants to give us a resurrection. Never stop believing in Jesus. Never stop believing that Jesus is able to solve any problem in our lives. Never give up hope because nothing is more powerful than Jesus, not even death itself. And lastly, rest in the gentleness and tenderness of Jesus. The only safe place in the world is the arms of Jesus Christ. Jesus is humble, he's kind, he's gentle, he's meek, and we can find rest and peace in him today. And if you're here today and you're feeling weary and you're feeling beat up by the world, Jesus says to you in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? Jesus, you are absolutely amazing, and everything you do is amazing. And if you are in our lives, Jesus, we never have to despair. We never have to be without hope. There's nothing more powerful than you. You're you're Lord over nature. You're Lord over the demonic world. You're Lord over sickness. You're Lord over death. You're Lord over the stock market. You're Lord over wars and, and changing weather. You're Lord over everything, Jesus Christ. Nothing is more powerful than you. And I pray for every single person in this room this morning, Lord, maybe they're a Jairus. 
Maybe they're a woman with the issue of blood. Maybe they've brought something in here this morning and they've run out of every option and you're their only hope. I pray that Jesus, you would work in their lives today, Lord. Where they need to be healed, heal them. Where they need a resurrection, bring a resurrection. We love you, Jesus. There's no one more amazing than you.